You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. Have you ever been asked to uh, endorse somebody, to write a letter of recommendation, to maybe you've been called by somebody to give a reference check for somebody? I don't, I don't know if that's happened to you. It happens to me quite often. A student will say, will you write a letter for a scholarship for me? And I, I write those uh, every you know scholarship season and uh, people for job clearances. I've even had the FBI in my office not asking me questions about me, but asking me questions about other people. And uh, here's a letter of endorsement that i just like you to listen to. It says, to whom it may concern, Trevor Adams, my assistant programmer, can always be found hard at work in his cubicle. Trevor works independently without wasting company time talking to colleagues. Trevor never thinks twice about assisting fellow employees, and he always finishes given assignments on time. Often he takes extended measures to complete his work, sometimes skipping coffee breaks. Trevor is a dedicated individual who has absolutely no vanity in spite of his high accomplishments and profound knowledge in his field. I firmly believe that Trevor can be classed as a high-caliber employee, the type that cannot be dispensed with. Consequently, I truly recommend that Trevor be promoted to executive management and a proposal be executed as soon as possible. Yours sincerely, Bill the Manager. Now, that's a good, good endorsement. However, there was an addendum to this that went out, and it said this. Trevor was standing over my shoulder while I wrote this report. <laughs> Kindly reread this endorsement, but only every second line. To whom it may concern. Trevor Adams, my assistant programmer, can always be found wasting company time talking to colleagues. Trevor never finishes given assignments on time, and often he takes extended breaks. Trevor is a dedicated individual who has absolutely no knowledge in his field. I firmly believe that Trevor can be dispensed with. Consequently, I truly recommend that Trevor be executed as soon as possible. Now, when God writes an endorsement for you and he signs his signature of grace to it, it never has a double line. It never has a double standard. It is, I am for you, I am not against you. We are, as we talked last week, we are not defined by our brokenness. We are defined by God's radical love. I said last week to you that if we don't come to God in brokenness, he cannot repair us. He doesn't restore and renew. He doesn't reconcile people who are just guilty and say, I was caught. But he reconciles people who are broken and who recognize by their disobedience that they broke God's heart. And that's where this greater God comes in and helps us. We are not defined by our failures and rebellion, but by God's grand grace in our lives. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church, Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will what? I will receive you. And now watch this line. This is how important it is for God to speak his word over our life. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's his endorsement of us. That's his statement of his grand grace in our lives. That I will come in, and I will make a difference 
Isaiah 1.18, here's another line where it says, Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like what? Scarlet, I will do what? Make them white as the snow, and though they are like crimson, I will what? Make them white as wool. So bottom line is, God gets the last word. You don't even get the last word on your sin. You don't get the last word on your brokenness. You don't get the last word on your repentance. When you come to the Lord and confess to him, you can't say, this is what I did, Lord, and I know you can't forgive me. You don't get to speak for him. His grace is greater than all of our sin. His mercy is greater than no matter what's happened in our life. Since we fail God every day, we should be broken. And since the throne of God is a throne of grace, we should be honest, honest to God. This is what I did, Lord. There is great value in confession. Someone this week talked to me about this. They said, you know, last week's message challenged me in such a way that I am now repenting and confessing as things come up. And I said, well, give me an example. And I thought this example might, might help you. He said, I was really rude to someone yesterday. And when I woke up this morning, as I have been doing every day since you challenged us last week to confess, I actually spent time in the presence of God and said, Lord, I really was rude to that person yesterday. Here's the way I approach them, and they don't deserve to be approached that way, and I shouldn't act that way as your son. He said that I felt the presence of God, and I felt his forgiveness, but something else happened, Pastor B. I said, what was it? He says, now that I confessed it, my mind was more cognizant of when I see him the next time, I'm going to apologize, and I'm not going to be rude. So confession not only delivers us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, but something happens in the way that we live and the way that we act and the way that we speak. When we say, Lord, this is what I did, we are repenting to him or saying the same thing, and then we move forward in life, but it causes us to be aware. I shouldn't have said that to my wife. I shouldn't have said that to my husband. I shouldn't have said that to my parents. I shouldn't have said that to my friend, my neighbor. And the next time you see them, there'll be a quickening of what you said to God that will keep you from the repeated behavior. So that's a free bonus for you today. Free with the price of admission and don't hold it against my sermon time. Okay. If you got a Bible, open to John 21. I want to take you to a really familiar passage of Scripture to talk about this greater than God who's greater than our failures. Peter would probably be one of our top people when it comes to being a failure and being restored. When it comes to somebody who denied the Lord not once, but how many times? Three times. Open mouth, insert foot, Peter. You might know him. He might be you. John 21, 1 to 3, afterward, and we're going to tell you what the afterward means. This is after Christ has died and resurrected from the dead. He's now doing what's called the post-resurrection ministry. He appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it, and it happened this way, that Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples, so that would be seven total, came together, and here's what Simon Peter says, I'm going out fishing. Doesn't sound like a, like a big deal, does it? And the disciples said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, and they got in the boat, and they did what the disciples have done quite often. They caught, they caught nothing. 
Now, this may not be significant except for the fact that Jesus had called them to no longer fish for fish. Remember? I will now call you to be my disciples, and you will be fishers of, of men. So they're sitting there wondering about the mess of their life because not only did Peter deny them, all the disciples had denied the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? They all turned their back on him. And so now here they are. They have already seen the Lord. The Bible tells us that three times that he'd already appeared to them. And now they're going back to do what they did before. It's as though Peter is saying, look, the Lord has prophesied over my life that I that I will be a part of the building of the church. Remember Matthew 16, he says, because you say that I'm the Son of God and flesh and blood has not brought you this revelation, but the Lord himself, I will build my church with people just like you, Peter, and upon this rock, he called them Ten Petron, Little Rock, Little Rock, Arkansas, upon this Little Rock, I, I will build my church. And Peter had to feel in that moment that the Lord's prophecy over his life, that the Lord's Part of destiny over his life was no longer valid. So what does he do? He defaults back to his previous life. And I don't know if anybody here has ever defaulted back to your previous life, ever defaulted back to what is comfortable rather than what is courageous. And he goes back to what he knows. By the way, I've always contended this. I could be wrong. You can agree or disagree with me, I think these guys are lousy fishermen because every time we come upon them, they're either mending their nets or catching nothing. I just thought I'd throw that out. <laughs> I said this the last couple of weeks, and I think it fits right here. Your destiny is greater than your disaster. The worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. Your destiny is greater then you're disaster. So I will just go fish because I have no destiny, says Peter. And he drags his disciples with him and they willingly go out and fish. There, there, there's a similarity between us and, and Peter and the disciples. And, and here's why I believe there's a similarity. We are good at doing certain things. Some of us are very competent. And some of us have a, a confidence in things that we do. And some of us, when we don't know what to do, we just go do something. We get all spun up and we send emails or Facebook posts or call people or just, you know, we get, we, we just, we gotta, I gotta do, I gotta, I gotta go do something. And sometimes the best thing to do is just go be with God. Sometimes the best thing to do is just cry out for his voice, say, Lord, what should I do? And somebody goes, well, Pastor, I don't hear the Lord's voice. I just, I, and I just go, well, you gotta read the book. This is what he sounds like, folks. You want to know what God sounds like? Just read the book. Because we just read a couple of passages this morning from Isaiah and Corinthians where says the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And these are not some, you know, crazy people on the corner saying, God, says. This is Isaiah the prophet who says the Lord wants you to know he wants to be your father and you'll be his sons and daughters no matter what. Or then somebody like the the, the Apostle Paul comes out and says, God's up to something in you. He's going to produce a sanctification or a righteousness in your life because that's what he says he'll do. And those are words that we need to, to look up. I uh, had somebody tell me a while ago that they simply went to the BibleGateway.com and punched in, saith the Lord or says the Lord, and they looked up all the statements that they could find in the Bible where God spoke something through someone who wrote it down. 
Uh, there's a challenge for you. You want to know what he sounds like? Go find the thus saith the Lord's in the Bible. Listen to the words of Jesus, because Jesus was God. And if Jesus spoke, he said these words, I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father shows me to do. You want to know what God is like? Just read the words of Jesus. How will I find those words? Go find a Bible that's a red letter edition, and all the red texts are Jesus' words. Pretty cool. That's what I did when I was 14. Somebody gave me a Bible, and I said, what did Jesus say? And they said, here, read this one. It's a red letter edition. Wherever Jesus spoke, it's in red. And I just, at 14, I read over and over and over, a whole summer, all the words that Jesus said. And it shaped my theology about who the Lord is. What does that have to do with the sermon? A lot. Because Peter didn't listen to Jesus. He went back and did what he did. He defaulted back. Have you ever tried to go back in time? You can't. I know that. Foolish questions. Let me ask it this way. Have you ever thought about history in your mind? And if I could tweak that. Have any of you seen this, this show called Timeless, NBC? Yeah. We are enamored with going back in time. The time machine, if you're old enough. Or, or if you're young like me, you remember Back to the Future? Come on. Mar Mar Marty, the flux, come on. You know, we got to get back there. Hey, I want you to look at this, this little trailer for Timeless, and I'll, I'll make a comment about it in a minute. Really, I have no reason to show it to you except it's cool, but take a look. Now, a couple of things. Somebody's spending a lot of money on a TV series. Look at all the costuming and the special effects. And, uh, but, the, but the premise is this. There's a team that travels in America's past that tries to change America's future. What if you go back to high school or middle school or college or your first base assignment? Or what if, what if you could go back to your first wife? Well, maybe not. But what if... <laughs> Or your husband, for that matter. I mean, maybe not, maybe not. But I think some of us try to go back into our past. That's what's happening here with Peter. I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to forget everything God said about my life and about my future. Listen, when we fail, it's easy for us to forget what God told us. When we deny the Lord, when we disobey God, when disaster strikes, when this, this horrible darkness comes to us, we could say, well, God, I guess I'll just go back and do what I did B.C., before Christ. John 21, 3-5 says, They went out and got in the boat, and they caught nothing that night. The sun comes up, and Jesus was standing on the beach. They didn't recognize him. I'm going to tell you this. I don't know if I'm right or not. I'm just going to tell you this. I think they didn't recognize him because they didn't want to recognize him. 
They'd already seen him three times. They knew his voice. They knew the presence of God in their midst when Jesus was there with them. And Jesus spoke to them, good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? He knows they caught nothing. He knows they didn't catch a thing. In verse 4 and verse 5, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was him. This is NIV version. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? But notice that word, friends. I don't know if any of you would have been that kind. Do you know who I am? Don't you understand? I died. I told you about the future. And you can read about it in John 14, 15, and 16, the last words of Jesus. Don't, don't you remember all that I did for you? And you can't recognize me? Come on, guys. I think, I think some of you might have been a little more bold than my friends. By the way, the word friends here is not just a flippant, you're my friend. It's, it's an endearing, tender word. It's, it's more like the word lads. It's more like the word family. More like the word, I really care about what's happening in your life right now. And seven guys and one boat, doesn't sound like fun to me, but zero fish. And if you're a fisherman, that is a fisherman's worst nightmare, to come out with nothing. Every one of these guys had abandoned Jesus. Every one of these guys were now in the face of the greater than God, the greater than Savior, resurrected, and they were missing it. But a couple of things, and get out your fast lightning pen. That writes really fast because I'm going to talk fast. Even when we have failed God, number one, he never fails us. God's signature endorsement, God's recommendation for you is that you would be forgiven. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's a good verse. He's working in you. The word in Greek is uh, energeo. It's where we get energy from. This is not some kind of mystical, the positive energy. This is God sending his force. Not the force be with you. His, his, his force. You got to be careful, you know. It's an energy that God is sending. It's not just a positive energy. It's the effect of the cross of Jesus Christ that he sends to us, the blood of Jesus over our lives. It's where uh, he would say elsewhere in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It connects deeply with Romans 8.31. If God is for us, then no one can defeat us. No one. Good morning. No one can defeat us. Didn't say no one can defeat your candidate or your political party. It says no one can defeat you. It's talking about spiritual things. The devil can't defeat you. He is already a defeated foe. Just think about that. The darkness that's around us can't defeat us because God is the God of light and the God of grace. And God's promise is to treat us with goodness and mercy no matter what happens. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about your failure because he does. And if you've been disobedient to him, God doesn't look and say, I condone that. Actually, he condemns what we do, but he doesn't condemn us. Uh, John 3.17, he did not come in the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. God's lack of condemning us does not mean that he is condoning what we have done. 
But here's the good news. God's faithfulness to us and his love for us are not based on our performance. So when I'm a little kid and the ice cream truck comes down my street, ding, 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 ding. I can still hear it. There was always one note that was like a clunker note. Ding, 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 Huh? And this little truck would come down the street. Usually the wheels were funky and painted funky. And my dad would say to me, when I would tell him, can I get a dime? He would say to me, move the broom from that corner of the garage to that corner of the garage and sweep up the leaves in the middle. But dad, the truck, will, well, then you'll have to do it fast. And if you got to chase the truck to the next neighborhood, good on you, boy. And I would get the broom, and I would sweep up the thing, and I'd put the broom in the other side of the room. <gasps> Please. And he'd give me the money, and I'd... And I was raised in a performance-based household, which, which actually wouldn't hurt some of you to raise your kids that way too, but um, <clears throat> he's nine and he has a PlayStation 4 and his own cell phone and his own flat screen TV. I mean, come on, hello, good morning. A little work ethic wouldn't hurt, sorry. It was a little parenthetical stop, but it's true. And I, I, and I kind of live with a monstrous work ethic because that's how I was raised. But that's not how the kingdom works. God doesn't give me money for the ice cream truck because I moved the broom. God doesn't give me money for the ice cream truck of his grace and mercy because I didn't cuss this week. You shouldn't cuss. Some of you are going, oh, Lord. <laughs> God's grace and mercy is not predicated on your performance. These are guys that can't even catch fish. These are people who are actually going back to their previous life. I, I love Hebrews 4.15, and Diane, I'm pressing ahead, so thank you so much for your help. Uh, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not what? He did not sin. Let us then what? Approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What do we do when we fail? What do we do when we disobey God? What do we do when we deny the Lord? We go into his presence and find grace. I know I'm pressing this the last three Sundays on purpose because of the gentleman who told me he had not been going to God and confessing his sin and how now it's changing his week. And it's now going to become a habit for him to go to God and say, this is what I did. This, I was rude. I was... And so John 21, verse 6 to 8, we're back in John 21. Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some fish. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of a large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, this is John, the one who Jesus loved, Peter, it's the Lord. Now, now why did John know it was the Lord and not Peter? Because Peter chose not to recognize him. 
Because Peter gave up on his dream. Peter gave up on his destiny. Peter gave up on the prophecy of Jesus. But as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. We had taken it off, and he jumps into the water. I see the video this way. It's a cannonball. And he splashes all of the other six disciples. Come on. And he's now swimming to Jesus. Deja vu moment? Maybe I'll get to walk on water again. Remember that? Maybe something will happen here. It's the Lord. And he jumps in the water, and the other disciples follow the boat, towing the net full of fish. And they were about 100 yards off the shore. Interesting to note that the Lord gave them an assignment. I, I just want to kind of just, just touch on this for a moment because whenever God restores us, He gives us an assignment. Well, how do I know that? Well, He says to the lepers, um, you're going to be healed. Go show yourselves to the priest. And the Bible says this, as they were walking to the priest, they were healed. He tells the disciples and the, actually the, the waiters at the first uh, you know, marriage where he performs a miracle, water and the wine. It says, as they were going from here to there with the water jugs, the water was turning to wine as they went. He tells the woman who's caught in adultery, go and what? Sin, sin no more. There's always an action. And it's not that we serve or we act to be forgiven, but because we're forgiven, he says, I want to change the way you act. I want to change the way you live. I want to change your response now. Go and serve me. Go and sin no more. Go and show yourselves. And so God delights, number two, in showing us his greater than favor. And the greater than favor is in the action that we must take. I was rude to that person, and the Lord would say, go tomorrow and be not rooteth, or rude, rooted, rude, rude something. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish, verse 10 and 11, you've just caught. And so Simon climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153, some of the Bible say, but even with so many nets, or so many in the, in the net, the net was not torn. Grace is indeed God's undeserved favor. I, I love this. There's a greater than grace, and God is never stingy. He could have said to them, look, I restore you guys. I forgive your denial of me. Let's move on. He actually says, I'm going to help you do what you're doing. But then I'm going to restore you back to your destiny. Because if we read about the disciples going forward, they're not, they're not fishing anymore. They're preaching the gospel. And Peter's preaching, and thousands are being saved. And he's building his church with Peter. See, God knows our past. God knows our present. God knows our future failures, but he is still good to us. Anybody want to say amen to that? Hey, ladies, ladies, just a question, a little, little survey here. If you knew tomorrow your husband was going to treat you like dirt, would you make his favorite meal tonight? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Hey guys, if you knew your wife was going to treat you like dirt tomorrow, would you be nice to her tonight? Hey, uh, if you knew your best friend 
that you were going to loan your car to was going to go crash your car? Would you loan him your car? See, God knows this week what you're going to do. He already knows, and, and yet he wants to bless you today. That, that boggles my mind. I didn't hear that in a sermon. I was just thinking about it. My own life, how good God is to me, and he knows, he knows what's going to happen next Thursday or three Thursdays from now. And yet he always comes with grace and mercy and kindness. You know, he knows if you're going to have an anger control problem. He, he knows if you're going to have a fit of rage. I mean, he, he knows if you're going to use that profanity we talked about earlier. He knows. And yet he still loves us and he cares about us. And you can apply that to any relationship you have, a roommate or a neighbor. And God knows everything there is about us. And in John 21, 12 to 15, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Are you kidding me? And then the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord now. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and some fish. Remember the miracle? Loaves and fishes. He's doing all this to remind them. This is all calculated. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, you truly love me more than these? Now some scholars say, referring to the disciples, do you love me more than these disciples love me? A few other scholars have said, he possibly could have said, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than your previous life? I don't know. I think both could apply. You can decide. Do you love me more than John, the one who loves me the most? That's a penetrating question. Do, do, do you love me more than yourself? And I, I see... Peter down with a stick, you know, in the campfire, because all men are pyros. You know, we like to play with fire. And, <laughs> and you don't want to look at Jesus. Do you love me? Oh, wait, how many times did he ask him? Anybody remember? Three times. How many times did he deny the Lord? Three times. It'd be a coincidence. I don't think so. The question from God to us will always be, do you love me? Will you serve me? Always. You might wonder, hey, LFC, we love God, love people, serve God, serve people. Where did Pastor B get that? Well, another place we got it from. If you love me, you will serve me. If you love me, you will respond to the things that I say to you. Luke 10, 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Back to John 21, and Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And then he gives them an assignment. Remember, he restores to give us an assignment. Take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Oh, Peter. Because Jesus asked him a third time. You know, you ever had your feelings hurt by the Lord? Come on, get over it. Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. Is that a great revelation or what? Lord, I'm not you. This is the first time this happens. Because you know everything. You know everything, and, and because you know everything, I should trust you with everything. I should trust you because you're the greater than Savior. You're the greater than God. 
I should trust you with my future. I should trust you with restoring my destiny to me, even though a disaster took place. Jesus never asked Peter, you promised to never fail me again. Interesting, isn't it? I would have asked that. Before I write my letter of endorsement for you, you promised never to deny me again. Wouldn't you? Come on, some of you would have done that in triplicate. We had the notary there. Come on. Doesn't ask them. And Jesus doesn't say to Simon, have you learned your lesson now, buddy? Friend? He just says, do you love me? Because God had a plan for Peter, and he was saying to Peter, you're not damaged goods. It's like he says to our youth. Don't let anybody despise your youth. God has a plan for you and a ministry for you even now. Just like he says to our elderly people, listen, don't say you're too old, can't do anything. There's stuff for you to do. You can make a difference in God's kingdom. You can hand out candy to kids on harvest party night and put a smile on their face. I promise you, it'll change your life. Or they'll kick you in the shins, one of the two, I mean. (laughs) Number three, in Jesus, the boundaries of our past failures don't have to limit our futures. Somebody needs to hear that. Because God's never going to give up on you. So before I close in prayer, I just got to fast forward a little bit on Peter. Acts 2, Peter is preaching his heart out. Thousands are saved. Acts 4, 12 and 13, this is Peter, the deny the Lord Peter, the open mouth insert foot Peter. And he says in Acts 4, 12, salvation is found in no one else. He's not denying the Lord now. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been where? With Jesus. And they couldn't deny that fact. And it was Jesus that was empowering them to do and carry out the assignments of their life. What is God calling you to do? And how many of us feel because of our past we might be disqualified? That God put us on the dented shelf or the blemished shelf? I've been to Wayfair and Overstock and all those places where some of you shop to, and I look for the damaged little button, see if I might find something on a really good deal. I could turn the thing around and no one would see the dent. Come on. Some of you feel like you're damaged goods because of what's happened to you or happened to your family. That's not what God says. Here's what he says. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. No, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you really love me? Yes, Lord. Then, then go feed my sheep. And go love your families. And go take care of each other. Then go... Go tell people about me. Don't don't deny me when I nudge you. Because God has more for us. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, that's where this all starts. They had to acknowledge it was Jesus. It's you, Lord. And you have to acknowledge Him too. It's you, Lord. It's you that died on the cross. It's you that shed your blood for me and for my sins. It's you that gives me life. And life more abundant, it's you, Lord, and I will follow you. And you can be saved. It's just that, that simple. 
But then there's another part. We don't just love him. He gives us an assignment to follow him and follow after his ways. That's for all of us. There are people this week that need to see that you've been with Jesus. Good morning. There's people that need to see that you've been with Jesus. You know how they're going to know? By the way you love. By all, by, by your love, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And they'll be envious of that love. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.